Good morning, Australia. Oh, boy, it's great to be with you guys. You've got a couple of Aussie bush bogans, I reckon. I don't know, looking across at James, he looks like a, an adventuring Aussie bloke. And I know I come from Darwin. And, mate, you've been spending some time up in... Up in Armidale, yeah. Armidale. I mean, I mean, I'm from far north Queensland too, so uh, I'm in Bogan Central. But um, it's, it's a great place to come from. I'm barefoot in the office. Uh, if you know me in real life, you know I'm barefoot most of my life. Um, just explains North Australia, hey? Absolutely, mate. We both come from a similar background, enjoying the bush, I Spent a lot of time catching barramundi up there in Darwin and uh, being barefoot myself. Got a friend up in far north Queensland, Landon. He, shout out to Landon. He's also a barefoot man. So yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. So glad to have everybody with us today. What are you grateful for, mate? What am I grateful for? You know what? I think the small things in life are things that we can be really grateful for. And just waking up early is one of those things that, you know, growing up as a kid, you think like, oh, you know, waking up early. Oh, no, that's terrible. But... You, you get into your 20s and you, <laughs> and you wake up early and you, you think, wow, I'm a new person. So like waking up early and I jumped in the shower, had a cold shower this morning and I haven't done that for a few days and it just, it just felt so refreshing, so invigorating. And yeah, I'm just so thankful for that. And I mean, being on the coast in Newcastle, is, it's uh, awesome. So uh, yeah, glad to be back. Ah, oh, brilliant. You know, those cold showers are a brilliant replacement for coffee, guys. <laughs> If you ever want to try it, it is incredible, and it works, and it actually gives lasting energy too, so you don't mm. need another one. Absolutely. For the day. What about you? What are you thankful for, Robert? Oh, mate, I'm, I'm really thankful that I've been able to be down here doing this breakfast show. Um, yeah. Yeah, this is like my third time here, and so Lawson says, oh, you're in charge tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Can't wait. So, Good uh, times. Just, just grateful to be here to share with people. I love studying the Bible. I love talking about Jesus. You know, even out in the surf uh, yesterday, met a guy and had a great chat about religion and things Mm. and uh, just to be able to share with people about this radio station. So really glad um, to be able to do that, spend time in nature. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. So guys, we're so glad to have you. We're going to have a cracking uh, session today. We're looking at some current affairs, news around the place. We're going to be having our five pentathlon questions in our quiz. We've got our encounters with God, our Bible study, which is one of my favorite parts, and sharing news around the world. So really looking forward to uh, spending some time chatting with James and really digging into God's Word today. All right, jumping into some news today. Um, COVID. Pfizer says they've developed a pill that's got near 90% protection um, for when people have already got COVID. So that's, that's pretty cool, I think. Um, you know, in the current situation, people are freaking out. They don't really know. You know, um, That's pretty sweet. Yeah, it reminds me of a study that came out, I think it was earlier this year or maybe late last year, and they said that um, also plant-based diets uh, you know, were linked to a 70% decrease in severe COVID mor- uh, morbidity or, yeah, fatality. Mm. And yes. yeah, and it was saying like, so, you know, it's good that we've got something else as well, that once people, you know, they've already contracted COVID, something that can help them out, right? Absolutely. You know, especially in this world climate, you know, things are, things are strange, strange unsettled times. So I think that's, I think that's really cool. That's really positive. Yeah, definitely. If, if I could just quickly throw in there that uh, I do what's called a hot and cold shower because mm. I'm, I'm what's called a hydrotherapist in part of my work and basically if people will do five minutes hot 30 seconds cold and if they do that three times at least those changes hot cold hot cold hot cold that boosts the immune system so much that you can overcome viruses and bacterial infections quite effectively remember to talk to your doctor before you do any 
treatments or anything serious and ask him about the hot and cold shower. For some people, you've got to be careful. Uh, so check with your doctor before you do anything. This is not health advice. We're just sharing mm-hmm. things that help people. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. That's, I mean, that's why I jumped in the shower this morning. <laughs> cold shower. Woo, let's go. Um, another one. On Wednesday, uh, yesterday, Scott Morrison announced that the government will set up an online safety Youth Advisory Committee to assist the e-safety commissioner with the issues of online privacy and bullying. Um, now, Scott Morrison's done this because he sees that there's an issue. We live in a world, right, that young people, they don't really know how to how to act online appropriately, right? Mm, and we've got yeah, these yeah. things where, where people are being harassed. You know, they come home from school, they're harassed online. Um, there's bullying. There's then, you know, encouragement for self-harm. Um, I know personally, in my own experience, I experienced some of that anonymously. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm just thinking, you know, this is like five years later, five to 10 years later, how much worse can it be? And you've got kids that are like, you know, 12 and 13 that are getting on these social medias, like getting on social media. And so the government, I just really think it's really positive that the government's really taking a step to try and do that. And it, it, I, uh, a few months ago, I was, um, oh, a few months ago, England, they actually came out with a with a uh, new law of how to monitor and how to keep young people safe online, because they did this yeah. study and they found that thirteen year olds were being shown, you know, pornographic content and all these kind of things uh, when they were, you know, when they were on Instagram. You know, they like something, mm-hmm. they start getting shown more and more grotesque things. If yeah. a girl showed that she was interested in weight loss, they'd show like things like cutting and like really, uh, not not cutting. They'd show like really anorexic girls, right? Wow. And they found another girl when she felt like she was depressed and stuff. The the content, like the, uh, what is it, the algorithm? It would yeah. actually show her things, you know, of like people cutting themselves, self-harm, all these things. Yeah. And so the online world has gotten up. so dangerous, right? People have become products. Yeah. And so I think this is a great step in the direction. You know, it's not fully there, but it's a great step in the direction. Since England made that decision, they made some new laws around it. Mm. about how children have to act online, Facebook, TikTok, all these places, they started to uh, change how they, you know, change their laws, change their algorithms for young people. Mm. And I just think, you know, all these things, they're tiny, tiny, tiny things, you know, but they all make up something big and it's all about protecting our children. You know, I'm sure when you were, when you were like a child, when you were 13, 14, you probably weren't wondering, you probably didn't know about half the stuff that kids these days know about. Oh, man, Absolutely. And, and it has this impact on young people's minds. And so I just think that it's really, really important that, yeah, it's really, really important that we've got young, that we've got people that actually care about our young people. Oh, definitely. And, and you know, that, that may even take steps while we're waiting for stronger measures. To say, well, you know what, we just don't need accounts like that right now. Mm. I cut off my Facebook account like two years ago. And, and I can tell you what, my wasted time on the internet has yeah. stopped. Yeah. And I've just been enjoying freedom. Yeah. Being out in the surf and working in the garden and meeting community mm. people and being involved with humanity and, and real life exercising out in the fresh air has given me p- more purpose and, and uh, just better health. It's just great. Mm. Yeah, it takes, it takes away, for, my, for me personally, it takes away the excitement but actually gives contentment instead. And I think that's really, yeah. really the key thing. I've like over the last few years, I've just less and less gotten rid of this account, gotten rid of that account, gotten rid of this and this and that. And nowadays, I'm I'm rarely using Facebook as well at the moment. And you just yeah. you just get more contentment, don't you? Oh yes, yeah. Oh, yes. And so, 
it's really sad that the way things have gone lately, people have become products. Mm. And and we really, I'm just really happy that our governments decide to make a positive step. Absolutely. Hey, you know, people yeah. people are struggling online, especially our young people. You know, we don't know what these effects are going to have 10, 15, 20 years down the line. And so to protect our young kids is is one of the most important things online at, at the moment, I really think. And so Amen. that's why I think that's a really, really positive um, thing. He said, our kids are growing up in a completely different digital world to the one we did, and we need to keep them safe. He said, it's particularly true from women and for girls. The online space is a place they get harassed and they get abused. Mm. And And I just think it's really... You know, these days we've got so many more things, not only with that, but then you're getting pictures of other girls and, you know, all these things and, and you're asking yourself, am I not good enough? All this stuff and it really degrades the mental health of young people, mm-hmm. stunts their learning, stunts their growth in, in so many areas. And so I think a step in this is, is a positive direction. Yeah, good news, man. Um, and, and my final thing, um, they have found bugs. They have found, I think it was... More than okay, so there's microbes in the oceans and the soils across the globe that they say are evolving to eat plastic. So, in a study done, um, they scanned over 200 million genes found in DNA samples taken from the environment. They found 30,000 different enzymes that could degrade that could degrade 10 different types of plastic. So, what they've what they've found from this is is they're actually able to use these these microbes. Um, and if you don't know what a microbe is, uh, a microbe is actually a, an organism of microscopic size which may exist in a single-celled form or as a colony of cells. So it's just this really, really tiny thing, and they've found that they can use it to then break down plastics that are existing in the world, and they can reuse them um, to make new plastics rather than what they call virgin plastics, which is basically creating plastic from scratch. And so, you know, thus getting rid of, you know, more things that are just damaging our environment, da- damaging our reefs, damaging our animals and all these things. What do you think about that? Hi, I, look, my sniggering is not sniggering at that. I, I am so excited at God's uh, diversity, his ability to be able to create things to adapt. Mm. This is the powerful thing about intelligent design is that mm. God has put within uh, living things on this earth that the ability to um, to morph into something that can do a slightly different, fulfill a slightly different purpose than it did before, mm. to be able to handle the the issues that sin has brought to this world and the breaking down of of the planet, and that's just beautiful, man. Mm. Wow, mm. what a story. Yeah, and so I mean, I think I think when I when I go for runs all the time, um, I've mentioned this on radio before, but sometimes I get frustrated because there's that much plastic that is thrown on the side of the road and sometimes you know i I just can't live with myself so i've got to pick it up and like you know what you know run with as much plastic as i can hold till i till i get to the bin um but but to be able to see that there's a solution you know and we can be part of that solution as well um but to see that there's a solution um it's great and i i really really hope that we can work with this work with god's got us that's it we need to dump 500 billion trillion quadrillion of these things on the island of plastic in the Pacific Ocean. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. All right, guys, I am about to drop a news bomb. Ooh, this is nuclear. Okay. The president of Guatemala has declared that his country will officially become the pro-life capital of Latin America early next year. Mm. Mm. Guatemalan President 
Alejandro Glamatel, sorry if I haven't said that correctly, announced his intention to make Guatemala Latin America's pro-life capital during a speech at the Willard Hotel in Washington, D.C. last week. He delivered remarks at an event hosted by the Institute for Women's Health, a pro-life organisation founded by former Trump administration Department of Health and Human Services official Valerie Huber. There you go, guys, all the Trump haters out there. And yeah, you know, I mean, I don't know him personally. I don't hear political stuff and who knows what's true about all that. But uh, look at this. His administration did something pretty positive and the International Human Rights Group. So this is incredible, guys. Here, a president of a country says mm. he wants his country to be, and he's going to make it, he's declared it, it will be officially the pro-life capital of Latin America. Mm. Mm. Now, th- this is huge, you know, f- for people who struggle with this life and death issue, yeah. with babies, with unborn babies, mm. uh, when the fetus is still in the womb, you know, at what point does a child become a life? Yeah. As Christians, we have biblical, powerful biblical direction that once a child is conceived in the womb, this mm. is a, a living being. Mm. God says before we were born, mm. before we were made, he knew us, he had yeah. a plan for us. Mm. Absolutely. Think of a story I heard just a, a few weeks ago. Mm. This child, you get, this, this documentary, and the life of this child whose mother was on the brink of aborting this baby. Mm. And then she came to this conviction, you know what? God must have a purpose for my child. Mm. This was a child of rape. Mm. Now, there are some pretty heavy issues here, and I'm not here to judge anybody for what they're Mm. going through. Mm. But I know there's help out there for people who are struggling with this. What are we going to do with the child? How do we deal with this? Where are we going to go? There is help. God has help, and he has purpose. Mm. And so... What a, what a huge story! What do you reckon? Yeah, I th- I think that's good. I I think that's great because, you know, it's it's interesting. You know, and and there's people that really struggle with these things. There's people that have had to make decisions before, and they've made decisions they've regretted. I've I've absolutely made decisions I've regretted. Mm. Never never one like this. But you know, if there's if that if you're listening, you've had to make a decision like this. Look, there's there's no judgment from us here absolutely. because we still love everyone, and God loves everyone still. But there is something, there's something so beautiful, um, you know, in, in the fact of choosing life and choosing to save life, choosing to preserve life. Um, and that, that God is always there to help us um, whenever, whenever we need, whenever we call on him. Absolutely. His forgiveness is enormous mm. and it's so beautiful. Well, on a totally different front, China is in trouble with the world and you'll be hearing it in the news more and more. And it's fascinating how... America and other nations are speaking so strongly now about China. You know, it's interesting, among Christian circles, prophecy has a really strong focus, especially in the book of Daniel, where Mm. some people look at certain prophecies, especially in chapter 11 regarding the king of the north, king of the south. Many people focus on either Turkey as being a specific player in in world events or more globally, atheistic, Mm. communistic countries that the... Mm. The belief that uh, yeah, there is Russia, no God, China. and uh, yeah, th- these kind of countries, and and so whenever one group becomes more focused in the news, like if Turkey does, mm. then the group who view Turkey as the big issue, mm. they're like, oh wow, look at that! See, it proves that our belief is right because Turkey's mm. a main player now. But I'm sort of of the understanding that we're we're dealing with worldwide things now, mm. 
everything has become worldwide. Mm. The internet has connected the world. Mm. And God's people are scattered over the world. He's brought the Gentiles to himself. And now his people are anybody who follows Jesus, who seeks after him with their whole heart. And and so we're dealing with a worldwide global situation. Mm. And, you know, we're going to find out soon enough how correct we were or not. God's mm. going to open everything up to us when he comes and explain it all. But at the same time, here's a pretty powerful thing happening where China seems to be fulfilling this this evidence of, of this atheistic or communistic country where their their leader is so determined to prove mm. his communistic purpose and, and to bring his country back and away from the Western Christian uh, ideal yeah. ways. And so, yeah, I don't know. There's a lot happening in, in prophecy and in, uh, in world events, and China seems to be fulfilling something pretty big right here, right now. Things are happening. And beyond China, we've got something a little more exciting just across the ditch. If we have any Kiwis who happen to be listening, New Zealand has now announced details of a smoke-free plan by 2025. Mm, mm. Can you imagine that? I've been dreaming of this, thinking it'll never happen, and wanting to see countries that just don't have smoking anymore. Yeah. And so what they've done to to begin that process. Check this out, James. What what New Zealand said is they said, look, we're going to now not allow um, cigarettes. Let me see here. i just got to bring this down a bit. They're not going to allow smoking, the restrictions they're putting in. Um, Oh, yes, they want young people to never start smoking. Mm. So this is their Mm. aim now. They're making it illegal. They're making it... um, a very serious crime if young people have any connection with smoking. So if nothing changes, it would be decades till Maori smoking rates fall below 5%. So this government is not prepared to leave anybody behind, they say. They mm. want all of the people groups who are struggling with the smoking to say, you know what, we need to start cutting this off. As a government, we need yeah. to not let it be supplied anymore. Yeah. And I'd like to see Australia follow that. What do you reckon? Yeah, Yeah, I think that would be awesome. I think there was a lot of controversy with that because people were like, oh, you know, there's some people saying, oh, well, it might go underground um, because I think what they said is uh, there's no one that's 14 or under will ever, you know, ever smoke, right? And that's the plan. And I think that is great. You know, people have this controversy. They're like, oh, well, it might go underground. Yeah, it might. But, you know, as they say, an ounce of prevention is better than a pound of cure, right? You know, it's so much better uh, to prevent that at the start than than to, you know, try and look for a solution down the line, down the line, and keep 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 continuing supplying it. If you get rid of that supply, it's you know, it's that ounce of prevention that's way better than the cure. You know, this underground issue falls flat in the face of research. Mm. If we use prostitution as an example, in Sweden, Sweden decided to illegalize prostitution. Yeah, they said, look, we've got child trafficking happening. We've got pedophilia. Yeah. We've got kids being used in brothels illegally. So we're going to illegalize prostitution. Mm. Guess what, guys? What happened is not only were people able to live life and they had more money and families Mm. worked together better, but child prostitution went down dramatically. It had a huge effect. Did it go underground? Of course it did. Of course there are going to be things happening that we can't see or don't know about. Mm. But actually, they decreased it dramatically. It had a Mm. huge effect. Mm. And so, 
you know, this idea that you shouldn't illegalise something because it'll go underground, hey, if it lessens what's happening mm. and if our country stands for something, the mm. Bible actually has things to say on this. We actually should stand yeah. for issues like, like this because we are responsible and God will bless our country if we do that. Now, later on, we've got a live interview coming up shortly. Uh, sorry, not live, a recorded interview. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I just... Uh, needed to let you know that so you're not surprised when Lyle's voice comes on. And we're very interested uh, to hear what uh, Lyle's interview has to say with Luke. Mm. Well, oh, yeah, no, no, I just want to say just on that, just before we wrap up, like, yes. yeah, I totally agree. You know, like, it's better it's better to cut things off, you know, and, and risk maybe them going underground than to, than to supply and go, oh, you know, anyone try this. And I, I totally think that's just such a positive change for New Zealand. Absolutely. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show here on Faith FM. And joining us on the phone this morning for our interview of the day is Luke Ferrugia from Oz Table Talk. Luke, welcome to the show. Thanks, Lyle. It's great to be here again. And, of course, Luke uh, from Oz Table Talk, you guys, basically a bunch of young guys that get around and talk about the topics that young guys talk about as spiritual Christian young people today. And you have those discussions, but you record those discussions so that we can all join in and have a listen in. So we're super excited to find out what has Oz Table Talk been talking about this last month. Okay, well, uh, probably the biggest episode we did this month was the episode we did on cancel culture. So that was uh, that was probably the, the biggest um, biggest uh, reaction that we got to that episode, and it was uh, really interesting. We were sort of trying to figure out the difference. We were asking the question: Is it uh, is it social accountability? Is it a good thing, or is it destructive? Or is it or is it just uh, an expression of capitalism? Oh, now that's interesting. How, how would you describe it as a as a, a expression of capitalism? Well, you see, this is something that's been going around, going around in my mind, and 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 maybe maybe we're diverging from the subject here, Luke, and <laughs> and maybe even just sort of adding to uh, the discussion that you guys had. But you know, cancel culture is, you know, something that a lot of the time I find really offensive because it's just like you know you, the slightest person is seen to step out of line in some way, and their life gets destroyed, and that seems to be incredibly unjust. Uh, yeah. But at the same time, you know, there is this thing called capitalism. And if you don't like a, you know, if somebody wants to take a particular stand and they are offering a particular product and people boycott that product because of the stand that they take, mm-hmm. then that's just kind of how capitalism works. Mm-hmm. They, cease to is, have, they cease to have a market for it and we're like, oh, they got cancelled and they got put out of business and that's not fair, but... I don't know. Yeah. What, what 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 thoughts did you guys come up with? I'm super keen to hear what you had to say. Yeah, well, one of the I think one of the key things that we we honed in on as being central to it is that if we were looking at it like through the Christian lens, right? If you look at it through the lens of the Bible, um, rebuke in the Bible is always designed to be a redemptive process. That's the that's the idea of it. And uh, cancel culture at least in, in every expression that I've seen of it, has never been redemptive in nature. The, the, it's punitive in nature, right? The, the, an, in an effort to punish the person for doing something that offends somebody else. But it never actually provides a, a reasonable way for that person to have uh, like a redemptive experience, to be, to be welcomed back into society in whatever form that may take. And so we, we looked at the differences between that and how, how God deals with us and how 
even in churches, we're supposed to deal with people who have dissenting opinions or, or have offended somebody else. And how uh, the way it's done in society is a very one-way sort of communication. It's not giving the person an opportunity to, to dialogue. It is going back the other direction. Yeah, I think that's a really valid point, and maybe that's one of the reasons why we find cancel culture so offensive because there's something just innate, I think, in, in our human nature when we see somebody being cancelled or something being cancelled. It just sort of like, oh, that, you know, the injustice of it just, you know, grates on us. And maybe this is why, because of the lack of, you know, redemptiveness, the just pure, I guess, hatred and vitriol that you so often see coming through with cancel culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Did you guys did you guys delve into um, the actual social effect on, of cancel culture and how it is affecting the world from a social perspective? Yeah, yeah, we do talk a bit about that because the because it has become such a, an accepted thing. People are beginning to fear it, and therefore, it's having this massive effect on free speech and the way we interact with one another. So, which in any society, I, I believe, is going to have detrimental effects down the line. You know, w- when you start putting people in positions where they are so afraid of speaking their minds, especially if they are holding valuable opinions, then the prevailing culture just becomes an echo chamber. And this is an interesting thing. I don't know about uh, your guys, but the question that's mm. well worth asking is, you know, have I ever self-censored? And by self-censoring, I'm saying, you know, when you're amongst a certain group of people and they're talking on a particular subject where you choose to remain silent because of the fear of being cancelled by that group of people. And that cancellation might be, you know, something just very, very simple like, you know, you're a little bit ostracised from the, within the group or looked down on within the group. Yeah. But self-censorship has become a major part of our world today, which is why we've had, you know, there's these sayings like the quiet Australians that didn't exist before. The reason that they're quiet is because they self-censor. Yeah, and I think the uh, one of the reasons that that are mixed into that is because we now have universal communication mediums, right? The internet allows anything anybody says to be instantly searchable for the rest of time. And because of that, I think that's why we see so much self-censoring occurring. Whereas if you're talking about a local context, where you are in a, like, you know, you might be at a church or, or at a party and you step into a group of four or five people and you have a conversation with them. Uh, you know, in the past, that would have been a completely isolated occurrence and you could speak freely based on the people you were speaking to. But considering so much information, uh, sorry, communication now happens online, anything you say to any group of people in a, like in that public sphere, in that context, is available to everyone in every country that has an internet connection. And so because of that, we, this is, I think this is why we see cancel culture spreading so quickly and, and the canceling happening so fast in, in the society because there's no limits on the communication that's taking place. It's definitely a different world than what we used to live in back in the past. Mm. It, our, our yeah. World something, yeah, I was just going to say something else that just, uh, came to memory as well that we, that we talked about, which I think is very instructive, is the, the fact that whilst we look at this as uh, all the negative things that are coming out of this today, Probably you could say one of the first uh, examples or, or previous examples of cancel culture come from the church. You know, like we looked at some examples in scripture as well. Like, you know, what the, the Pharisees were trying to do to Jesus and the disciples after him. You know, they were, they were trying to deplatform them so they weren't able to participate in the communication of the gospel to, to the other people. 
And so that was the official church structure. And, you know, if you, you run back in time, even into our time, you know, you go back to the, the 80s and 90s, there, there are so many examples that you can go back and look at of um, the Christian church. And obviously there's different pockets of the church, but um, even outside of the Catholic church, you can look at uh, American evangelicalism, you know, where they call for the cancelling, they may not use that language, but they call for the cancelling of certain media figures that don't measure up to certain expectations or certain ministries that are preaching something that they don't agree with or whatever it might be. And so I think when we, if we're going to be like holding the world up to this standard, we also have to look at the church as well and ask, you know, are we guilty of the same thing? That's a very interesting point too because, you know, typically we think of cancel culture as being something that comes from the left. Um, yeah. But is the right immune from it? And are conservative no. evangelicals immune from cancel culture? Absolutely not. Like in some cases, I think it's just as bad, if not worse. In some of those those um, specific situations that we look that we look at, you know, we, we actually looked at a few examples, um, like you know, when the a lot of churches were um, rebelling against, you could say, uh, like the trend towards Harry Potter and, and some of these things. And even though we might disagree with them and not want to consume them or have our children consuming certain types of media or certain authors or whatever it might be. The question really is, you know, do we have the authority to cancel them, right? To put them out of business and, and stop them from being able to speak freely on what they think, believe, or want to create. And that's the, like, that's a whole other question, right? It gets into free speech and it's got a lot of long legs, so to speak. And of course, it gets into the issues of religious liberty because yeah. do we, do we allow the freedom for somebody to choose to be a Satanist if they so choose to do so? Or do we as Christians try and go out and cancel them? And I think this is where mm. it all comes back to what you originally talked about, about the difference between, you know, how God deals with things and how humans deal with things and that God, everything that God does is redemptive. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Absolutely. Uh, you, you mentioned that this one is, um, one that you've had, you know, probably been the most popular one. For the in the last month. Now, do you measure that by the number of people who listen to it, or do you actually get um, a lot of interactions from your listeners who make comments and so forth? Yeah, yeah. So, sort of a bit of both. So, in this particular case, yeah, it was the, the number of uh, the number of downloads and also the number of shares on social media is sort of the, the metrics that we look at. Yeah, fantastic stuff. Yeah. All right, what else have you guys been looking? What else have you guys been talking about? Okay, so uh, one of the other ones that we did uh, is we're doing, we started a new series. So the new series is called Navigating, uh, sorry, Seasons of Life. And so we're sort of talking about what's the biblical perspective or, and look, looking at the practical aspects of what it looks like for a Christian to live through certain seasons of life. And one of, sorry? I was going to say, we can hear the season of life that you are living through in the background right now, which is bringing joy <laughs> to our hearts as we, uh, as we listen to the fact that Luke has a young family. What a great season. Yeah, I know. They're, they're, they're doing this. Doing their best to be quiet for me, but uh, it doesn't always work. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, so uh, the uh, yeah season of life that we talked about uh, in the first uh, installment, if you like, in in the in that series is navigating university or tertiary education in general, and uh, it was kind of timely because we recorded that when um, uh, a number of our like the guys at the table had uh, just come to the end of their, their university year and ended the semester. And so we were talking about how they uh, how they prioritized God in that scenario and what the challenges have been for them as they went through that and sort of what they're where they're going and how and and so how to decide as well on that path that you want to take in life. We sort of walk through each of our decisions, even those that have graduated 
a fairly long time in the past and looked at how we made our decisions and what to study and when and where and those sort of things. Have the challenges of universities for Christians changed? Uh, you mentioned that some of the some of your guys have just finished a year of uni and some of you graduated a long time in the past. Have the challenges changed or are they still the same? Uh, from everything that I can tell, the challenges are much the same. And it also comes down a lot to the kind of student that you are, as an example. Like, you know, one of the, one of the guys, um, he is all, uh, I don't know, he, he's a smart guy, but he's all about efficiency. At the end of the day, from his perspective, if I, if I come out the other end of this, he's, he's a surveyor. And uh, he said, if I come out the other end of this with a qualification, he's already got a job in the industry. You know, he, in his mind, it is important to have the, the um, study and work balance and, you know, keep the mental health as well. And so from his perspective, he doesn't have to get high distinctions for every single thing that he does. As long as he comes out the other end of the course with a decent grade, he's happy. C's get degrees philosophy. Yes, that's exactly that's exactly it. Whereas Dave, on the other hand, Dave is studying to be an engineer, and from his perspective, anything less than an HD is the fact that he didn't try hard enough. <laughs> and um, so, and we talked about how healthy or not healthy those mindsets are, and when those, uh, like, and when to control for that. Like, you know, at what point do we say, um, you know, my mental health or my spiritual life is suffering, and so therefore my grades aren't as important as that. And and Dave's had to sort of like manage that in his own educational experience. And for him, he, he shared very openly that, you know, he feels like uh, because he did decide to go into this field reasonably late, you know, that he feels like he's uh, behind the times in, in getting into the field and sort of to prove his, prove his um, uh, like the fact that it was a good decision. He's like working really hard so he can see good grades. So he knows, yes, I have the aptitude for this. That this is the direction that God is headed for me, and so where's the balance of that versus like doing a really good job versus I still need to sleep at night, you know, those sort of things. So we talked about the, the balance that has to happen within education. And I think in both of those scenarios, both of those scenarios can be detrimental. Yeah. You know, because yeah. the scenario that says, well, I don't need to excel, C's to get degrees, means that you mm. can actually aim for mediocrity, and that's not healthy. Uh, the <laughs> argument says that I need to have high distinctions else I'm not um, succeeding in life can set a person up for failure and for burnout. So, you know, there's kind of, there's kind of dangers with, with, with both of them and there are advantages with both of them. So, you know, the, the C's, de- the C's get degrees is somebody who's able to manage their life probably more easily. Um, whereas your higher distinction person is somebody who is, you know, can be seen as being using the best of their abilities and talents that God has given to, given them to be able to make the world a better place. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Yeah, and, and that's exactly you know from David's perspective. Yeah, you know, he wants to go specifically into humanitarian engineering, where he's uh, actually making you know doing ministry through that degree. And so you know that that is all the more reason for him to do that. But you know he has uh, you know health and mental health has, has suffered as a result. And so, like you say, you know we need to really navigate these things in a in a in a, in a wise way with God to be able to understand where do we fall in that spectrum, right? Where is where does God want me to be in this? So I understand, Luke, this is going to be a continuing series. We're going to look at uh, Seasons of Life. Yep. Yeah, that's right. So we're actually going to be talking about, um, or we're actually going to be recording a new one this week on uh, moving, like what it's like to tra- transfer from one location to another. Sounds fascinating. Um, and very quickly, how do we interact with uh, Table Talk? So all of the information is on our website, Oztabletalk, that's A-U-S, au. 
Fantastic stuff. So head over there to oztabletalk.com.au where you can catch up with Luke Ferrugia and all of the guys there. We're going to be back with the Encounter with God Bible study. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.